Welcome to the Psychosphere. My name is David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is Anat Perry. Anat is a transformational coach who specializes in developing her clients' emotional resiliency as the access to taking inspired action. I like that. With over 16 plus years in developmental work, Anat has helped hundreds of people create the life they desire. Her deep work allows you to discover what you truly want, create a clear path to success, master being with your emotions, and create a happier life. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's two facilitators talking shop. I learned a lot from her. Her perspective is uh, very wise and you can feel uh, how much compassion she has in her heart and how much passion she has for her work. So please enjoy this conversation with the wise and powerful Anat Perry. I got to Austin a couple months ago yeah. and I have one friend here. I have a couple people I know and uh-huh. I was like, well, who should I follow? Who do I need to know in, uh-huh. in the space? Because I'm also in the, what, what do you call it? The wellness space? Transformational space, space. Transformational yeah. space. Healing space. Right. Yeah. And they told me about Chris. Chris Marhafa. Yeah. I yeah. told him I was coming and he was like, oh yeah, I've met David. Yeah. yeah. No, we haven't met. Or not met, but he knew who he, you were. Yeah, he recognized He started him. following me on, uh, on Instagram after I followed him. So I followed him and I was checking him out and then I saw this training camp for the soul and I saw that you were doing it with him. So I started following yeah. you. And then you messaged me very kindly yeah. and uh, just said hello and asked if I needed support uh, or just to connect, and which I, I do did. do it with every new follower. That's really good strategy. Right? It is. You'd be amazed how many yeah. new clients I've landed that way. Because otherwise people follow you and they're just like, la, 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 I'll just follow for a while. And I really do it because I want to know, like, I'm curious, why is this person following me? Are they in need of something? Do they want to have me on their podcast? Like, let's, let's and find why, out what, and what take is, action. What are, why are people following you? What, um, what, what do you find out? There's definitely a people that are just like, oh, I just love your content. I'm just happy to be here. Uh, and then there's people that are like, I'm, I'm struggling. I just came out of a breakup. I don't want to jump into another relationship again. Actually, this is a guy from that I reached out to three weeks ago that got in just in time for my 90-day program. But really? Yeah, he said, he goes, oh, a friend of mine sent me to you, and I just got out of a relationship. I'm always hopping into the next relationship, and I know that's not what I want to do. And I just responded back and said, I'm so glad we're speaking. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want you to do that either. This is the perfect time. You're feeling that, like heartbreak or whatever this is the perfect time to dive into like feeling everything that's there so that you can learn to love yourself and then that next relationship is the relationship for you and uh yeah he scheduled a call and joined in the program and he's doing great so far so it's just it's amazing to know like every time I hesitate which actually I don't anymore but every time I'd say I wonder, I wonder, because sometimes you'll reach out to like 40 people and maybe you'll hear back from one. And sometimes it's, it's time consuming, like, oh my right, God, okay, right, message each person. Right. And then I keep in my, in, in my mind, but what if this is the one person that really needs to be noticed right now? 
and take action. How did you get in? Well, like, well, tell me a little bit about you. How did you get into all of this? And well, how did you get into all of this? Yeah. So, um, I'd say even back in high school and I'm 41 now, so a little bit of time ago, um, my friends always came to me for advice. I mean, David, God knows if I was, could like rewind back time, what I said to them, I probably wouldn't say today, but whatever I was saying made a difference for them where they kept coming to me. So I was the like wise one in the group that everyone came to when they needed support, advice, coaching, whatever. So there was always an enjoyment around it. And I considered majoring in psychology. And then the idea of eight years of school was like, no, I don't want this. So I went the route of business and finance instead, which I'm happy to have that foundation now as a business owner. And um, self-development found me anyways in my mid-20s. So I started doing uh, different programs for my own journey, like my own relationship with my mother, which we were always fighting. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, that was the starting point. It was like wanting her to see that she's wrong and I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it just led me into the space and the world of self-discovery and self-development. And I loved it. And I knew that it was a space that I enjoyed being in. Um, But first and foremost, I wanted to make sure that like I was getting myself to um, to a place of transformation where Mm -hmm. I was happy with my life. Mm -hmm. And for eight, for the next eight years, I embarked on that and I didn't make much progress. You didn't make much progress in the eight years of personal development. No. What what were you doing? Um, trimming weeds. Uh Uh-huh. You know, a lot of the work that I was doing, it wasn't bad. It was just doesn't get to the root of things. There's uh-huh. a lot of work out there that's mindset, that's yes. cognitive. And when you're in it, you think it's the shit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what it did do for me, I look back and I see the purpose that it served was it developed me as a coach. It developed me as a great listener, but it didn't give me lasting transformation. If you looked at my life, my life hadn't transformed much. I was still lost in my career, in debt, um, lacking self-love, codependent relationships, um, no belief in myself, $40,000 in debt by the end of those eight years. Um, So I wasn't getting what I wanted in life, but I was developing some skills. And so it got to a point where it was frustrating. So what did you learn? Like, what did you do to get to the root of it? And what, what is the root of, of it? Yeah. So I, uh, I hit ground zero. What, yeah. what did that look like? Ground zero? Um, being in a five-year relationship, living in New York City, working in a startup that I wasn't happy in, doing things that weren't my gifts, and that relationship coming to a halt, to an end, uh, which should have happened a few years before that, but finally the universe conspired and pushed me off the ledge. And yeah, and then three weeks later, buying a one-way ticket to California, no job, no car, no home, no plan, one friend Wow! <laughs> in San Diego. And 
and starting to to deal with how much I was distracting myself and how much I was blaming the world around me uh-huh. instead of seeing that I didn't I didn't know how to love myself. Yeah. And and that everything I'd been doing up until that point was brought me to a lot of awareness, but I like scratched the surface. And uh, so that was like the beginning of, of, of my journey, I'd say, my journey to real self-discovery. And what like, what happened? Like, what was the work that you did? And, and what did you point? do? Yeah, at that point. Like, what? Because I, I think this is a really interesting question because I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot out there. Yeah. And m- now more than ever, it seems. And I think a lot, there's a lot of different things and people are doing all kinds of stuff. And it's hard to discern what's what. And, um, and what works and what doesn't, and I think different things work for different people and different people are different places and need different things at different times. But I'm very interested. I mean, the work that I do core energetics, which is a, you know, somatic psychotherapy, yeah. it's very deep. Like it, it, the whole intention is to get to the root of things. And that was so interesting to me, um, you know, going underneath really getting to the root of the pain, the fear, the rage, mm-hmm. the resentment, all of the things that happened to us in childhood, all those feelings that we bury, that we hold on to, that we disassociate from, that live in our unconscious and that are really running our lives. I mean, that's, that's the realization that I came to. Yeah. And, you know, for me, corner Jacks was a place where I, I, it allowed me to feel all of these feelings, to go back and really feel them like in a somatic embodied way. And I can understand why people don't want to do that work because it's terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying to go into it and it's terrifying to face ourselves there. And I don't know that there are a lot of spaces where that's happening exactly, but it sounds like you've found a space where you could do that. Mm-hmm. And now that's what you are teaching. Yeah, absolutely. We are on, on the same page here. Um, I imagine also for people, they, they think they are doing the right work. They don't realize, I mean, they think that their mindset is, you know, figuring stuff out in there, having these like, ah, moments in the head, it works. And, um, and for a little while it gives that relief and then it shows up again and, it could be scary, as you said, but if it doesn't give you the result and eight years later, you're still struggling in life or frustrated in life. Like right. I was, I just got to that point where like I had enough of that. I started exploring new things from, um, meditation, which, you know, in New York, I wasn't exposed to at all. And then you move to Southern California and it's like everywhere to plant medicine uh-huh. and, um, my first experience of doing ayahuasca was my first experience of like being in my body Mm. and my body tremoring and experiencing all these releases. And it's like, what is going on here? And like, wow, this is amazing. And so I, I explored the plant medicine route for about eight months, Uh um, only to still be dealing with the same stuff. Uh And so what I realized there that was missing, and when people ask me if they should do plant medicine, if that's going to do it for them, I say, it's a tool in a yeah. tool belt. Tool, yeah. it's, in, it's a tool in the tool belt of the healer. If you know yourself and your body as a healer, meaning 
if you've done some work consciously to understand your limiting belief, to understand what's blocking you, then you can go into plant medicine and you can connect and you can integrate well from it. And what was missing for me is I was having somatic releases and experiences um, during, with the plant medicine, but I'd come out and I wouldn't know what, what got cleared, what belief was there so that I'm not continuing to behave in alignment with that belief. And mm-hmm. so what happened is I would keep reinforcing the old. Right. And, but it led me to my, uh, my mentor who was doing this type of work, somatic core energy work for mm-hmm. 40 years. He, uh, he passed away a few years ago. He was in his seventies, but it led me to him, um, through a mutual friend and that was the first time I experienced body-mind psychology, the understanding of, of looking and identifying beliefs and, and you know, using our memory and our mind and at the same time connecting somatically to sensations in the body, learning the body's ability to release when you feel safe and all that. And so I worked with him very much like a therapist. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a therapist, come in the office for an hour, sit with him, here's your assignments, go do it on your own. And I was at a point in my life, I was in another relationship, and I, it, it was triggering so much of my pain body that it, it, it was my motivation for, for doing the work on uh-huh. my own. I think most people won't do it on their own unless they are already in the pain. Yes. Um, and so I moved through working with him in about four months. And he said to me, he goes, you have a gift with this. Because half the time I'd sit in his office and I'd be, pro- I'd, I'd be processing through it myself. He would just kind of sit there and start typing. And he said, would you ever want to do what I do? And I'm like, no, I don't want to sit in an office and see people for an hour. Um, and about six months later, I reached out to him and I said, I'm, I'm curious in, in learning from you and I, I don't know what I want to do with it yet or what it's going to look like or in what modality. But I, after having six months to integrate myself, um, I felt ready. Uh, but going back to what you said before of it is painful. It mm-hmm. was like running through a burning forest and there's a dragon to slay. I mean, I felt sensations and heartache and so much that my little girl didn't receive when she was young. And I got what the work that I was doing in my 20s, I got what they were trying to intellectually tell us. The context they were giving things, but what was missing in that was the experiential. And finally experiencing it, I, I, I connected. Oh, okay, I can give credit. I can understand that they were planting seeds mm-hmm. with that work. But the importance is going there, experiencing going it. Going there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was also my experience. I, I did talk therapy for a number of years and, and got a lot out of it. I, I, I understood the math. I describe it as the math of the problem. This is what happened in your childhood, and this is how it's impacting how you're living now, and here's the associations. But I wanted to feel, and I could intuitively feel, like I need to feel this. And I was also an actor, and I could feel the places where I was blocked. I mean, I was trying to feel as a profession. 
And so I knew that I was blocked in certain places. And so I, I finally stumbled across, uh, yeah, this somatic work. And once I started to feel, then it, it just, it, it, it takes you into the unknown inside yourself. And once you're into the unknown inside yourself, that's, that's where the magic happens because, uh, you know, my experience, like we're, we hold on to an identity, we hold on to an idea of who we are, these belief systems, which are defenses and, but it's all we know. Yeah. It's what we know. So you're asking somebody to like, let go of something. And even if consciously they can understand, yes, of course, that's that belief system is not serving me. But if unconsciously, that's all, you know, your ego is like, fuck that, man. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not going to give this up. So there's something I think really powerful about yeah, doing the embodied work and, and just feeling ourselves. And what, what did you discover? Like what, what is the key to transformation? Because I, I, I think like whether it's plant medicine, whether it's the somatic work, you can have these deeply cathartic experiences, but there's also something that needs to be done. Like practical application Mm -hmm. and there there has to be work done by the individual like after the cathartic experience to integrate that 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 seems to me is is very important and what what are your thoughts on on that yeah i actually have it broken into what i call five stages of transformation so you know in the transformation space people some some people think awareness like oh my god i'm aware of it now right and that's transformation i'm like oh that's just the start starting line in a race that just you just got to the start point mm-hmm. uh, and that that stage one is is becoming aware aware of the weed aware of the belief aware of what's limiting you stage two is acceptance and commitment so um so, and, and this is a point where I feel a lot of people get stuck or they experience resistance because mm-hmm. the idea of accepting it means that they have to feel something. They've created a safe place for their mind to go or, you know, they've buried it and accepting the fact that, yes, you were abused or your parents did get divorced, like accepting it on like a visceral level and not just yes. logically, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people don't even get there. And mm-hmm. that's stage two. And if you don't get to acceptant, accepting it and then committing to that, then you're, you're stuck. Well, like you one of the things get. that I find is people often minimize the things that happened to them in their childhood, exactly. because if you don't minimize it, then you actually have to feel how powerful it was. And I didn't understand how profoundly impacted I was by my experiences in childhood, which weren't that traumatic. My parents right. split up when I was six. My dad wasn't around. My mom was very young. She was my mom was fine, you know, the, the, but I didn't really understand it until it came out of me. It came out of my body. And I was like, holy shit, the level of rage and pain yeah. that was in there that I was holding on to. Uh, but it's so easy to minimize it because and it's, it's hard to, it's our hard mind. to really accept the yeah. truth of what our experience is. And also we don't want to turn ourselves into victims, you know, but we also have to accept that we were mm-hmm. victimized mm-hmm. on some level. You're helpless. You're young. You're you're a child, um, uh, but not to you know 
the, to acknowledge that place where we were victimized, where it was hurtful. Like, I don't want to feel my helplessness. Right. I don't want to feel that. Right. I don't want to feel, I, yeah, the adult me. I don't want to feel my vulnerability. Yeah. Like, so the acceptance that there was a time in my life where I was helpless and vulnerable and then I got really hurt for me, you know, it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. And it's, and I think it's why we minimize or why people will talk about therapy being self-indulgent or, you know, but it, it's once you've had the experience of it, it's like, holy shit, I can't believe yeah. that that was inside me and that's what I've been holding on to. And I can understand why I didn't want to accept it. Yeah. And logically, you know, the, the adult self yeah. minimizes it Yeah, and says like, for me, same thing. It wasn't any big T trauma. My father ran a hotel. He worked 16 hours a day. I barely got time with daddy. Mm. And so I felt like I was invisible. I don't matter. Other things are more important than me. Uh, and, and my adult logic self was like, yeah, but dad just needed to work and dad loves work. Yeah. And it's okay. You're still daddy's girl. You have a great time with dad now, right? All those things, not realizing that my younger self created ways to survive it right like well i'll just do whatever i can whenever dad is around to help him to be around him to get time with him and how that got fixed as mm -hmm. a strategy right and that strategy then showed up in every romantic relationship right and so that's then what shows up that we have to unpack that yes. you have to look at well what has you be this way and Oh, well, to unpack that, you have to accept, you have mm -hmm. to face the fact that to your inner child, this, this was the biggest heartbreak ever, mm -hmm. but there's so much grief yes. here. Well, grief and maybe, I mean, I don't know how or it was anger. for you. Yeah. yeah resentment mm -hmm. that, that can often get buried resentment at what we didn't get. And we can attach and hold on to that resentment and letting go of that resentment requires that we feel the pain and the loss and the vulnerability of that. And, uh, yeah, there's so much in there. Mm -hmm. It's just, and it's also fascinating. I mean, I, do you have, I mean, I want to get back to your, your five, uh, stages of transformation cause it's fascinating, but, um, uh, like the curious, like, just tell me a little bit about like, just your curiosity towards this. Like it's a, like every person is like a puzzle to solve, Exactly. you know? And when you're working with them, they're, they're in their defense. Yeah. And so you have to figure out a way to massage past and guide and gently hold them there, knowing that some part of them doesn't want to feel this, even if yeah. they say they do. And so the skill set that's, that you have to develop Mm -hmm. in order to uh, hold people in this place is, I don't know, I, I find it infinitely fascinating. And I assume you do too, or you wouldn't be in this line of work. Infinitely. I call it like solving riddles. Yeah. I went to an escape room last month with my fiance and, uh, and I was like, God, I'm so good at this. And I'm like, oh, this is like kind of what I do for a living. Like right. always solving like unquestionable answers um, or unanswerable questions. Uh, and... I've been doing it so long now that I do see patterns and that right. part has gotten, uh, so easy for me mm -hmm. where I don't have to think I'm able to be such a, uh, 
open vessel Mm -hmm. of safety for my clients Mm -hmm. and feel into their experience without relating and taking it on as the truth so that I'm able to guide them safely to be like, I'm holding them Mm -hmm. energetically while they're there. And at the same time, a big, big tool that we teach is what I call priming safety. Like your wall over here is blue. Mm -hmm. And if we wanted to paint it yellow now, we would put primer on it first. Mm -hmm. And so I coined this term priming safety that before a person could, could move from being in their head space and their, 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 their mind being what's running the show to allowing their, their body wisdom to take the lead, they have to prime safety. Right which is uh, sitting in a way that you would if you felt safe Mm. compared to how someone sits when they're scared Mm. they curl up. So um, letting the body know you're safe by sitting that way, breathing in the way that you would if you felt safe Mm. as opposed to when you are in danger. And then occupying the monkey mind and repeating to yourself, I'm safe. I'm safe to be in my body. I'm safe to feel, safe to experience this. So there's a period of time and a practice mm. for the clients to drop into that and to prime safety until they they have felt that shift and that permission and that allowance so that it's not all on me. It's not all on the facilitators and that we're empowering the client to learn how to create that safety for themselves so they could practice this process. I love that. Um, Take it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to steal that for sure. Prime safety. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a great phrase. Um, how do you, how do you deal with the, the, you know, not taking on your client's issues, like keeping yourself clean and because it's a lot, it's a lot like, you know, I remember when I first started facilitating and I'm sitting in a group and everybody goes around and shares their stories and some people's stories are just horrific. The things that happen to people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I've heard, you know, yes, exactly. And you, the worst kind of thing that you can imagine and it's unbelievably common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in a room full of people and having everybody share and, you know, being a little bit, feeling a little bit overwhelmed, like, holy shit, can I hold all of this? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I did, but it's, it's, it's a lot to hold. And you know that you have to, uh, keep your container clean, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to facilitate in an effective way. And you're also a human being. Mm-hmm. We have our own stuff. It's, I'm not, fully conscious. I don't mean, I don't think it's a possible <laughs> thing for us to get fully conscious in this lifetime. How do you, how do you manage that for yourself? Yeah. Great questions. Two things. Yeah. First one is making sure that I am tending to myself right. all the time so that I come to a session and I'm clear. Like I've handled whatever, uh, need attending to that morning that I've reached into little Lanat and checked in and made sure that there's nothing that I am avoiding, abandoning, 
resisting within myself so that I could be clear because otherwise most likely it's going to show up. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm not present with the other person because I'm in my process. Yeah. Um, so that's first. And if that is handled, the next thing is, because I, I have heard some horrific things for sure, is staying in tune and in connection to my body, my sensations and mm -hmm. my breath mm -hmm. while staying present with them. Yes. So... And, and sometimes just even shifting how I sit, mm -hmm. uh, if it's virtually I'll, and it's, it's a lot of energy the other person's giving, I'll, I'll move back yes. two feet, um, or I'll move or I'll angle myself differently if I'm in person with them so that that energy isn't directly in front of me. Do, do you prefer working? Do you work with people one-on-one? -on -one? No, just groups. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the group, we'll yeah, yes. do lots of one-on-one. -on -one. Right. So it's just yeah. workshops you're doing. Yeah. Group work. Yeah. I used to do one-on-one. -on -one. Uh-huh. And what I've come to realize is you can go deeper and faster in group than you can one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, two reasons. Sometimes people have so much shame about something that they won't even, it'll take them weeks or maybe months or ever to bring it up to me if I worked with them one-on-one. -on -one. But if they hear someone else going through something that they consider the same or worse, it grants them permission. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing is they may hear somebody else share something. This happens all the time and it, it pings something for them. So it creates that, wow, I just, I just experienced a release and a transformation and I wasn't even in the hot seat. Right. And so I just find that there's just deeper and faster that we go in group. And so it's what I choose. How is the transition been? I mean, were you always doing work online with people, groups online? Uh, I started COVID? out virtually. I, I wasn't that good with it. And then I moved to in-person retreats only. And then after two years of that, I felt called to offer it virtually again because I wanted people to have access to it that couldn't take the time or afford the retreat. And I came up with the right process. And I was at a place where I could show up better virtually and it was a completely different experience mm -hmm. than my first time. And I'm glad I did that because a year and a half later is when COVID happened. Yeah. And I was, I already had proven, tested virtually. It was great that I just needed to change a few things and in the model and I was ready to rock and roll, ready to go. So COVID happened and then the next month I had my biggest month ever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And was busier than ever before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the work that I do involves a lot of, I mean, you know, you see the, like the foam block there that I'm about to get covered. So this is like hitting and punching and kicking and it's a lot of moving around and expressive stuff. And, and so I have all those tools in my toolkit. Right. And, yeah. but now that I'm working online with people when COVID hit, I said, okay, let me see if I can do a group online. And I'd done a little bit before. And all of a sudden I had to learn a whole new way to work with people. Mm -hmm. And there's, there was limitations, but it forced me to approach things in a different way and I developed new skills. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. I'm also anxious to get back to working with people, uh, live cause it's fun and exciting. Yeah. 
how is it uh, co-facilitating? Is it, is it hard to find somebody that you can work with? Because I can feel how strong you are, how clear you are with your methodology. And I'm sure when you're in a room full of people, you're tracking it very closely. Mm -hmm. And I know having worked with groups, there's a kind of a natural ebb and flow and there's intuitions that you have about where things want to go next, which is its own creative process. Mm -hmm. And so working with somebody I found can be tricky. Yeah. And to find the right partner, it sounds like you have found somebody that you feel really comfortable working with. How, how is that? Yeah. So I started out by myself mm-hmm. and I did it by myself, but it definitely felt like a lot more to not have someone that has my back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then I had one, uh, co-facilitator, Mike, and he just was great at holding the space of the masculine. Um, and when we were working together, it was all in person. It was during those two years that I just did in-person retreats and we had these silent cues. Like if I stare at you as we're working with a client, if I look at you for three seconds, you know, if you got something, feel free to jump in. Right. And if I don't do that and I'm focused on the client, don't jump in because I'm, I'm going somewhere. Yeah. So we, we formed that knowing and he was more about learning and sitting back and letting me do my thing and really only jumping in when, um, when I needed it. Uh And so he was, he was like my backup. And when he decided, when, when he expressed to me, I, I love this because I just love the environment, but this isn't my strength or my gift. And I, I, I really want you to have someone that sees this as their role, their life's work, not Mm -hmm. just someone that had, that's your backup, but your partner. Uh, he, he spoke that out into existence and we're like, okay, let's see who shows up. And Chris, who now is my partner and co-facilitator, he was, he was my client. Oh, wow. Yeah. He did my, uh, second or yeah, second round of my 90 day virtual. He did that and he did it after his wife and his wife started working with me uh, doing some social media stuff. So she started coming to the retreat. So that was the year we were doing virtual and retreats and she, she would come so she could capture content. And I said to her, you know, I hate for your husband to be away from you for a whole week and he's now done the work. So see if he wants to come and volunteer in the kitchen. So he came to retreat and volunteered in the kitchen and up-leveled the food, which was great. (laughs) And when he wasn't cooking, he would just sit there and like soak it all up. Mm. And he came back to another retreat two months later because we loved having him as our kitchen staff. And again, he'd sit there and the energy emanating for this, from this man, the, the, the size of his heart, the way he gave hugs to people, Mike and I looked at each other and we're like, this may be our guy. Wow. Yeah. And he just let go. He was just in the process of selling, um, his two businesses and he had experience as a coach more in like the business and fitness realm. So he was really stepping into the unknown of, I don't know what's next for me. 
And so we let him sit in that for a while. We didn't say anything that round. And then we invited him again two months later in August uh, to work in the kitchen. And that's when, you know, we just kept observing how he loved it and soak it up and would show up. And then at the end, we, we asked him, is this something that you'd be interested? Would you ever want to facilitate this? And he just got big eyed and big smile and was like, oh my God, I'd be so honored. And I said, okay, then next two retreats, you come and you're just apprenticing with us. Mm. You just sit there, you take notes and you ask us questions. Wow. And he nailed it. Wow. Um, he also went through some huge transformation at that point that I think helped him step mm -hmm. more into his gifts. Mm -hmm. You know, that happens when you make a bigger commitment. Life's like, okay, let's clear out whatever's still in the way. Um, but he nailed it in a sense of by that January, it was just me and him. And Mike wasn't there. And I'd say it was like 75, 25 at that point, how much I led to he. And then March, so you're talking just a little over a year ago, the retreat was actually right before lockdown. It was me and him, and it felt 50-50. Wow. He just, he tapped into his own gifts, and we have very different styles. He's, um, he is very energetically connected. Like, he just feels everything, where I'm more of a channel. Like I hear things and I could, I know exactly what to say to you. Not that I don't feel and observe, but for him, that's online very strong. And so the way that he would facilitate would be different than me that I'd be like, hmm, okay, I'm going to sit back. Right. And I just formed this trust with him um, and enjoyed having someone that wanted to show up in that way and not just be my backup for it. And then COVID happened and he was really upset. Like, when can we get back to in-person retreats? When can we get back? I said, I don't know when this is going to happen. This may be a while. You better get, get comfortable with the virtual space. And so I had him take on um, all the one-on-one. -on -one. We were still, we did one more round of our old virtual model, which was intimate six to eight clients, and they each got three one-on-one -on -one calls. I said, you're doing all the one-on-one -on -one mm. calls. And those 21 or so calls helped him really develop right. the difference in what it takes virtually. And he, he got the reps in and, um, you know, I, I, I think, I think we just lucked out with finding each other and having a good flow in, in facilitating together. Um, uh, you know, I think people search that for a very long time. Yeah. Just like in any, like in romantic for partnerships. Sure. For sure. And, and we, it's been a year and a half now that we've been working together um, and we, we, we share the same values too. Right. And that's very important right. in business and like the business decisions we make to just how we honor the, the work that we do and the integrity of it. Do you think that, uh, having a man and a woman lead the retreat, uh, unconsciously brings up the mother and the father archetype? I mean, I work with a woman, Angela, and I, I've worked on my own and she works on her own and we're both skilled and enjoy it, but there's something 
about when we work together. I can feel it. It's like mommy and daddy are here and it does something to the space. Yeah. It does something to the room to feel the masculine and feminine energy and to be held by all of that. Is that something that you're aware of and you think about when you're leading? Absolutely. Pleading? We let people know the first day or the first call, we're like, we will trigger mom and dad for you. Right. There are going to be mo moments that you're probably going to hate me and I don't care. I don't need you to like me. I need you to learn to love yourself. And I know in that moment, I am just playing the role of your mother or your sister or your aunt or someone in your life. So yeah, we, we very much see it and it does play out um, for, you know, in, in the good and the bad in a way right. where they yeah. don't want to disappoint us. So if I give you a call personally, because you haven't been showing up to calls, you're not going to want to disappoint mommy. And Right. Yeah. It's and so that, complicated in there, yeah. you know, all the transference. How mm -hmm. do you think about that, working with transference? Because I know, I know for me, mm -hmm. I mean, often as, as the man, like I'm inviting, um, there's the, yeah, I want to please daddy. Mm -hmm. I can feel that. And there's also like, I fucking hate daddy. Mm -hmm. Daddy wasn't there. Fuck daddy. Daddy's doing it wrong. Or mm -hmm. uh, daddy's too big or whatever, whatever it is. And it's like, but there, I can also feel if you can hold that transference, hold that rage and allow it, there's something deeply healing. And that was the experience that I got with my teacher. I mean, there was probably a year in our four year program. Maybe, I mean, maybe it was more than a year where I just went after her. Yeah. Like nonstop. Anything I saw that I, th I thought she was out of integrity or bullshit, I would just attack, 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 attack. And she held me there. And it was hard for her. And, uh, and it was only when it was all over that I really had a deep appreciation for what she had done for me. Like held me in the space where she allowed me to, allowed me to feel my hatred, the place where I wanted to attack, where I wanted to take her out. All of my... What, we call the psychopathic defense mm -hmm. and she never um broke the connection she never left she never made me bad or wrong she just what that wasn't that she wasn't affected by it but she stayed right. and it taught me something i was like oh i can i can be all of who i am good and bad and mm -hmm. this person is going to stay with me and it was deeply deeply healing. Mm -hmm. And I only appreciate it after the fact. And then I thought, Oh, I want to be able to do that yeah. for people. And so to stand in the face of their projection on yeah. me and hold it for them without taking it personally, mm -hmm. because it is painful, especially when we're starting out, we want to be seen, mm -hmm. we want to be appreciated. We want our clients to think that we're good at what we do and all of that. I mean, we, we, you can't yeah. not like we're human, right? Yeah. But to let go of all any demand to be seen or understood or appreciated and just show up. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. How do you, how do you think about that, that, that idea of transference? Uh, oh, I've been dealing with it for years. Yeah. And mommy. And I think I've, uh, uh, I'm fortunate to have always had pretty good tough skin mm -hmm. and just know what's mine and not mine and be mm. able to read between the lines and see what they can't see and, and know that they're, they're just, they're, they're completely in a projection right, right. now. And I'm not going to say that to them. I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to give them what 
they don't think that they would get in this moment, like you said. Right. Normally, if someone acted that way, or or if you acted a particular way, the response would be that person would leave. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, how much can we feel into the pain of that person and what they didn't get, and and hold that loving, compassionate space, no matter right. what. Um, how I see it show up now is the the clients that think that they're invisible and, you know, don't fill out the pre-call form or mm, they may show up for a call, they may not because it's a group, right? Right. And, um, you know, may go through the almost the whole 90 days with like barely giving effort to it. Wow. And this is like, I'm talking like two people out of 25. Yeah, yeah, but it happens. happens. People act out in all kinds of ways. It happens. And so uh, I actually reach out to them and it's closer and it's been up until this point closer to the end of the program. And I and I offer them a chance to do it again. Really? Mm -hmm. I say, I see that you didn't really show up. Um, and sometimes there's a real reason, like work got crazy, COVID, da, 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 right? My father passed away of COVID. Like sometimes it's real things. And sometimes it's that their identity of I'm invisible. You're not going to notice me anyway. Right. Kicks right, in. right. And I actually give them a second chance because I'm like, I don't want you to look back and say you wasted your money and your time and you didn't take advantage right. of an opportunity that could actually transform your life. And so I said, I'm going to give you a chance to do this program again. I'm not going to charge you, but you have to show up. It's powerful. Yeah. And, and they must feel seen. It must feel, they feel seen. They feel heard. I, I just did, I, I've done this, I think. Um, in the past year with every group, there's been like one person mm -hmm. that I've done this with. Cause there's usually just one person. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, and, and, and they get it the second time and, yeah. and it's so rewarding for me and I know for them and the girl that I invited to do that this time, I was on the phone with her for an hour and she really just wanted to get to know me too. She was like, so how'd you get started and tell me this and tell me that. And, and it was, it's great. You know, they want to connect with me and know that like, I'm not just mom over here. Like I'm totally human and I feel you and I see you and I see you and, and you can do this. Mm. And I just recognize that people like that have never had someone believe in them. Mm -hmm. They've just been the kid that's just like, kid, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, those are the people that I've been noticing recently and paying attention to compared to the ones that may, you know, try and project on us on the call. If they do, oh, I'll, 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 I'll bring them to the truth right away. Yeah. And then everybody else sees it and they're like, oh shit. Okay. Learning. Well, you must also deal with you know, the idealization, like the good mom, like, I love you. I love you. Oh my God, you're amazing. You're so great. Thank oh, that you they so do yeah, the, oh, yeah. That, the, the love projection. Yeah. And then the need mm -hmm. that comes with it, of course, like, and this is one of the things that I've struggled with mm -hmm. because once you open up this space to people, all of their needs begin to emerge. Mm -hmm. 
And you have to have boundaries Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. actually can't truly meet the childhood need and, you know, that they have to feel the pain, the grief, the loss of what they didn't get, let go of that, stop trying to get that met through the relationships or otherwise, and then come into their adult self and get their adult needs met in an adult way. But when you're in that process with them, when they're in their childhood need, it's coming. Like that need is coming strong. How do you, how do you manage your, your boundaries? Have you always had strong boundaries? Did you no, have to learn to definitely had get to boundaried? Uh, in life uh, <laughs> as a former people pleaser and as a facilitator, I'd say I learned that one in my, this past year, in my facilitator training, I had one girl in there that, um, yeah, we, we definitely fell into that role of like, um, I'm, I'm the good mommy that you never had. Yeah. And I could start to feel not right away, but eventually I felt the hijack that I was hijacked into this role. And, yes. and, um, there's no easy way to do it, but to just point it out to the person as like, you know, and, and to break that pattern and for them to feel that and to get angry with me and you know then like hate me and go completely the other route and exactly what you said before stay loving and present and hearing them yeah Mm -hmm. so that they can move through all that that they actually experience with their own mother or father um, and finally get on the other side of it. And it's something, especially with people like that, like I could tell who, who, who latches onto me in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I do have to constantly check in when I am engaging with that person to check in and make sure, um, that I am not mm, being hijacked right? to saving them in some way nurturing saving them them, nurturing them in some way so it's it's a constant thing to pay attention to but i'm much better better at it and have um a lot more boundaries now and it's a lot harder for people to get to me now because it's not just me i don't have my phone number right people instagram me now and and you know sometimes i will answer it if it's a past client but if it's like continued back and forth every day i'm be like look yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more now with my facilitators and training, training them on this mm-hmm. for the, cause some of them have, especially the, some of the guys have that savior complex. So they, they like it. They like checking in and getting to be that person. I'm just thinking of this one guy in particular, who's actually more like a, he's a grandpa, you know, and he just wants to like check in on all the kiddos. And I'm just like, you are not doing them a service. You're doing them a disservice. So for me now, it's more training and making sure that my, uh, my facilitators and training that they are creating boundaries instead of what you said happens to all of us when we're new, our first year, which is we just want to be liked, loved, appreciated. Like I'm way past that. I'm like, people, get this, go do this on your own. You got this. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) Good for you. That's powerful. I would want to be your special student. I would have to be special. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's that's what I would become. I would, there would be an unconscious demand that you see me as the best. And uh -huh. if I was in your training program, that would have to be special. That that's what I would. Uh, right. And if you didn't make me special, I would punish you unconsciously. That was that would be my transference. I could just feel that in this moment, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I could feel where you could hold that line, but I, I could also feel like I'd want to test you. Like, like that's, that's what people do. They test, mm -hmm. they test. Do you ever like, you don't, nobody knows what the fuck they're signing up for. No matter what it is you do, right? You're like, right. I'm going to do this because I'm interested. You have a gift for it. It sounds like, you know, you knew early on you had a gift and then you just followed your heart and here you are. And I can, I can see your passion for it and your curiosity um, but do you ever have these moments of like, holy shit, I didn't know what I signed up for. Like, this is complicated. There's a lot of responsibility. You're dealing with people's, you know, the, the, the tenderest parts of their psyche yeah. and taking them into deep places. And you know, you're not, it's not that you're responsible for your, your healing. Cause you're not, I mean, they're responsible yeah. for their healing. Uh, nevertheless, it is a lot to take on. Do you ever struggle with, with how much you've, you know bitten off so that side of the business no because I feel that I've really created well a I took 10 years to get myself there before I even took on a client mm -hmm. so like the integrity of like making sure I'm giving you um powerful tools and right. equipping you um and my capacity to hold a lot is just so big that like at this point, no, but I'm, uh, I mean, the biggest group I've co-facilitated is like 40 people. So um, I don't feel that part. What I do feel is more the business part. Oh, really? <laughs> Actually, as I was like driving over here and, you know, we're just in such a, a growth phase and trying on new new strategies uh -huh. and launches and um and hiring more people on the team and copy and this and that and i'm just like right oh it's a lot. i was like and and having to be the person or me and chris the, the two people that make the decisions on these things to mm. test these things out i'm just like uh. yeah and I, literally as i was driving over here having this inner dialogue like Oh God, it feels like so much. I never thought it would be this much and that it's like always like the next thing and next yeah. thing. And I'm like, is it ever just going to be in flow? And then I said to myself, it is. This is all going to pay off. You're just, you're in the testing phase of what does it look like now? And, but I really, I just want to be in my gift. Right. So, you just want to be working. Yeah. And so then it had me think about, well, maybe I need to have this conversation with Chris of like, okay, so can I get out of every copy conversation or anything related to marketing or that stuff? Like, I don't even want to be on those strategy calls anymore because it's just not, it's not my thing. Yeah. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Do I have some great inputs? Yes. I'm a, I'm a great visionary. So a lot of the ideas... They come from me, uh -huh. but then all the pieces to make it happen. I have no idea how, Yeah, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. That's the stuff that feels like, uh, to me. <laughs> what, is, what is your vision for, for your work right now? You say you have a big vision or, or do you have a big vision? What's, I mean, our mission is to 
to normalize healing, mm. you know, to normalize healing trauma, right? Uh, to um, end generational trauma. Like I want to be a big part of 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 that, and I'm. I don't mean I as in me. I mean the mission, the reason why I am training and developing other people right now. It's not necessarily that they're going to be working inside of my company. It's just equipping as many Jedis as possible right. because the world needs it. And I believe we are getting close to awakening to that. Um, I don't know if you know about the, the book Oprah came out with. No. So Oprah co-wrote a book that she came out with, I think about a month ago, six weeks ago called what happened to you hmm. stories about resilience, trauma and healing. And then she also just came out with a documentary with Prince Harry, all about um, interviewing different people, mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm noticing that. And I'm like, wow, when someone that has as large of an influence as she does is finally talking openly about these things, it's, it's starting. Like, I, I really, really hope and look forward that in our lifetime, we get to see it normalized where um, people just get, wow, like I can actually heal this. Right. Um, you know, when you think about in the 1980s, who went to the gym? Yeah. Yeah. Bodybuilders. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Who goes to the gym today? Everyone. There's like every kind of type of gym. And you think about like, that was a foreign thing in the 80s. Like mm -hmm. mothers wouldn't go and work out at a studio. Yeah, it wasn't a thing. Working it wasn't out wasn't a, a thing. thing. And so I want this to become the next thing. That's really interesting because that's what happened to me. I, you know, I was an actor. I was a successful actor in Hollywood. I was on TV shows and doing great, making lots of money. I was famous. And then I went to this radical liveness workshop up at the Esalen Institute. And I'd done some therapy and uh, a little bit of, of cornergetics. But this woman, Ann Bradney, she, she sort of took the cornergetics and turned it into her own thing. And, and I completely got my mind blown, not just by the experience that I had and what I understood about myself and my own trauma, but what I saw in other people and the experience of the group, as you talked about, and, mm -hmm. and how powerful it is to feel that, oh, we're all walking around with stuff. Mm -hmm. We're all walking around with this pain and anger and frustration and fear, and I'm not alone in it. And uh, even though I may not have that much in common with this group of people, I didn't have anything in common with this group of people. <laughs> Um, at least on the surface level, but underneath it, I was like, holy shit, we're all exactly the same. And there was something that was so revolutionary for me in that, that I, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my head. I was just like, everybody has to see this. Everybody has to understand what's actually happening. And then we went back to Hollywood and I'm working on these fucking stupid movies, you know, falling in love and romantic comedies and, you know, they're, they're cute, but it's, it's all bullshit, you know? And I, I, I couldn't digest it anymore. And uh, ultimately, I, so I share your mission. I, I remember feeling that. Like, people need to see what this is. They need to understand yeah. what's actually happening because otherwise we're just walking around like zombies. We're not mm -hmm. really conscious. We're not really uh, making choices unless you really understand what's going on inside you and how your trauma is informing everything that you're doing, you're not really, uh, making real choices. 
And I think that is part of the awakening that's happening. And it is interesting for me to see like this, that experience for me was, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. And then to see on Instagram every day, people talking about trauma, all these new healing modalities emerge, people like you doing these workshops and talking about it so openly and seeing more and more people show up for it. Yeah. And why, like, do you think, is there something that's happening at this moment in time that like, like so many people are, are becoming coaches and, and working with trauma in different ways. It, it, it's almost like, yeah, there is an awakening. Something is happening in, in the culture, in the world. We're waking up to, to the truth about who we actually are. Yeah. Well, I imagine at least my generation, um, is probably the first generation to not conform and, oh, let me just get married and have kids and get a nine to five job. And so um, then it was the, well, what am I doing? And why haven't I met that person? And why am I repeating these patterns in relationships? And I think we were the first ones to actually question it and and want the answer instead of just like suffer and just do what everybody else does. And uh, so there's somebody that started this. I mean, you and I both did started our our journey similar time. Mine was 16 and a half years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're the quote unquote pioneers and, and they say it takes 10% to get to that Mm. tipping point. Mm. And I, I don't think we're there yet, but I think, um, social media, look, it brought us together. Yes. Um, when due to social media becoming what it's become in the past 10 years or so, the news spreads faster. News spreads faster, yeah. And so there's just more opportunity for people to share themselves and become aware of what else is possible and what else is out there in the world as opposed to what I'm doing with my life. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully people are scrolling their newsfeed and have some of those people in their feed. I think more and more people are. I mean, I certainly see it. Um and on that note, let's go back to your, your, I'm so fascinated, the five <laughs> stages of transformation or yeah. five steps to transformation. Yeah, we I call were it on, five stages of yeah, healing. Yeah, of healing, yeah. Five stages of transformation. Yeah. Um, so right. one was awareness. Yeah. And two was? Acceptance and commitment. Right. Which we both realize, it, it's huge. It's huge, it's, not it's easy. It's a big yeah. one. And stage three is getting to the root of it. Mm-hmm. And the root of it is below the ground, below the head, below what we know, below the labels of I have anxiety, I am depressed, I am angry, uh-huh. I am sad, all those things that keep people then in like right, wrong. Like I'm anxious. Why do I feel anxious? How do I get this to stop? And instead I feel anxious. Where do I feel this in my body? Yeah. What does it have a size, a color, a temperature, a texture? But below the judgments. So getting to the root of it um, somatically from like what you feel to also getting to the root of it by my process of reflecting back, rewinding the movie and pressing play on who did you learn this from? 
whatever you became aware of. Mm-hmm. Is this mom? Is this dad? And if we were to rewind the movie and press play, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you feel? And if you can't remember, imagine, because the brain actually does not know the difference. Yeah. So imagine a time and what did it feel like? And so allowing the person to connect to the experience, the sensation that was there, if they're not already at the sensation. So that's stage three. Mm-hmm. And that just takes priming safety. And that just takes practice of the process and sometimes being facilitated and guided through it. So that's stage three. And then stage four is what I call the releasing and replacing. So the releasing isn't like, I need to release. How do I get rid of this? It's just the natural occurrence that happens when you allow yourself to be with whatever is there. The body actually knows how to integrate it, how to release it, whether it's you have a good cry or it's cathartic or your body tremors um, or you start burping Mm -hmm. or consistently yawning. It's just that energy that's been stuck there gets moved, released, and there is space for something new. And it's not you saying what you think should be there. It's 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 an emergence more from the body mm-hmm. of what's possible and available now that wasn't before and it's such a key part to replace because yes. if you clear out i mean if you think about a garden and that's all we're doing here we're just working tending to your own garden you identify the weed you get to the root of it you clear it out but if you don't replace it with what you do want well then you know, yeah. some weeds are just going to grow back. Yes. So identifying what's possible, what's available as a belief, as a new declaration and planting that in. Let's say it's I matter. I am vulnerable. I'm a gift to others. And so that's stage four, releasing, replacing. Then there's stage five, which I call integration and re-education. So let's say the belief that you replaced it with is I am vulnerable. And vulnerability was never modeled to you. So now you come across your next problem of like, okay, I am vulnerable, but what the heck does that look like to be vulnerable? Like I have no idea how to act in that way. Um, And so that's where education comes in. This is where you can go to that intimacy retreat or you could pick up that book on vulnerability and the information in there actually has room to sink in, Mm. to be integrated. A lot of people, what do they do? They become aware of an issue and they go pick up the book or listen to the podcast or go to the workshop and then they wonder why life hasn't changed. It's because... Well, you didn't make room for it. You have all these beliefs, like men aren't safe, don't trust them, then how are you going to go be vulnerable? Right. Um, But now if you have cleared that out, there is room for something new. And it just may mean that you have to go learn who you can model yourself after for that. Um, And so that's the education part. And the integration is taking action in alignment with the belief. So you're an actor. Mm -hmm. This is perfect. Or you were an actor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, we are all actors in the story of our life. And so when you edit a script and you replace it with something else, 
you have to look at, well, how would that role, how would that actor now behave mm -hmm. if we just changed the script of mm -hmm. that scene? And so I asked my clients that if you're stepping into this belief, imagine being, imagine that you've already been that person. How would you be in your life? How would you spend your day? How would you get up in the morning? Like, how would it impact your day? What behaviors need to stop that if you keep doing those behaviors, someone watching the movie of your life would say, mm, they're not following the script. Um, what behaviors need to stop and what new behaviors need to start so that you are acting in alignment with your new script. Mm -hmm. And that is the watering of the seed. Right. Because you plant a new seed. You don't water it. It's not growing. And to me, that process, those five stages repeated over and over again for every area of the garden is what is going to start to create transformation um, and patience, right? You plant a new seed. For a while, you don't see anything. Yeah. So you may have the internal shift and to be okay being in the unknown right. for a while. For a while. While it yeah. germinates and blossoms into whatever it's supposed to be. And so um, I think that's another place where people that are really good at transformational work and have great tools uh, get caught in always digging because mm, they're interesting. Not, they're always digging for the next thing because life hasn't changed yet. And it's like, no, stop fixing yourself. Stop digging. Just go be, go play, go enjoy yourself and allow it. Just go be more. So I think there's, there's people at different stages. And I usually ask when we teach a master class to people that haven't done our work, I'll say, where after now hearing these five stages, where can you see you stopped or what st steps did you skip mm -hmm. for those of you listening and that you've done, Oh, I've done inner child work or I've done shadow work. Or I've done transformational work. Take a look. If, if there's an area of your life that's not transformed, where, where'd you fall off or what'd you skip? Right. The idea that self-exploration, great. We want yeah. to know ourselves can very easily become self-obsession yeah. and it's its own defense. It's its own way to, to sort of stay on the, on the loop. I mean, you see that a lot in the medicine, plant medicine oh, world, yes. right? If people yes. keep going to ceremonies over and over again. And I understand why it's, it's a cathartic experience. It's a, uh, maybe in some way it's a substitute for, um, spiritual community. Now that, you know, we don't go to church anymore. Most, not many people of my generation or your generation are going to church anymore. So they're, they're looking for places to have this. But are they taking what they've learned in those ceremonies and 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 having practical applications in, in their life? And I think one of the things that I talk about with my clients and I've made gotten really firm about is you have to have a practice. Yeah. You have to you have to have discipline every day, you know, exactly what you said. Like, are you acting in alignment with these new beliefs that you've set up? And you know, you, you need to have a new experience of yourself, right? You have an idea of who you are, you have all these beliefs. And something you're conscious of, something you're not. And then you have a new experience. You're like, oh, it can be different. And once you know that something can be different, then there's possibility. And then you have to nurture that possibility. And then there's risk to take. 
once you know that, it's like, what are the risks for you? This is how I think about it. What are the risks you need to take with this new information that are going to be scary, but now you know it can be different than what, what you thought it could be. And then you have to nurture that. And, and that requires a lot of discipline, which is one of the things I think that's, you know, I, like I said, I've gotten more firm with my clients. Uh, it's like you need, you, you need to practice yeah. daily. Because it's so easy, you know, you pick up the phone, you get pulled into the vortex of the madness of everything that's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the discipline uh, is, is key. And yeah, how do you think about that with your, with your clients, with, your, um, with all of your groups? Yeah. Because um, there's so much going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of strong feeling mm -hmm. about what's going on in the world that is I, I i mean you could say it's what it's about i don't know that it is what it's about at all yeah you know and but people get very attached to these ideas and these stories and we're in such contentious times i don't know if you you feel this at your workshops and maybe it comes up mm -hmm. right because there's a lot of division mm -hmm. and what how do you think about that and and how do you approach it if, if it does come up? <sighs> Whether you sit on one side or the other, I think there's, um, there, neither one is the solution. Right. And the, are you familiar with spiral dynamics? Yeah. Integral theory? Sure. Yeah. The, the, the challenge is, is that most people are just not coming from a high, a, a level of consciousness high enough where they could think of the me, the we, the us, and what new system of change can be created that serves the whole. Right. And so um, I personally don't get caught up in whether I think this one's right or that one's right. Yeah. I'm like, neither one's a solution. Uh, we need more people to raise their consciousness. So I'm going to go back to focusing on that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when it comes up for uh, my clients or other people, I really ask them to assess like, how much energy are you giving to this? And mm -hmm. is that energy serving you? And if it is, what part of you is it serving? Right. Is it serving your ego being right in some way? Is it really serving? Is it serving your purpose? Is it serving your family? For them to reassess and come back to what they can control and what, and how much you can I don't want to use the word control, how much you can create. Get back to your own creation. There's things that we have to deal with right now, that we have to survive, that we don't have direct say in. And yeah, we have freedoms of speech. So feel free to give your energy to speaking sure. up about it. But is that going to be the most use of your energy? And have you given your energy to the things that do matter first? And then, you know what? I have this extra time, so I'm going to start this podcast and we're going to have these, these, you know, controversial conversations right. and I'm going to express my freedom of truth. Fine. But are you spending time with your kids? Are you tending to your self care? Right. Are you doing, doing these things first and foremost and maybe are you asking yourself why you're so worked up about this yeah you is know, it a protector yeah that's that's certainly what came up for me i mean you know over the last five or six years all of the contention that's been in the world and i had strong emotional reactions to it and i you know 
And I felt all of that, like I'm right, they're wrong, whatever it is. And then at a certain point, it's like, what, what is, like, what is this for me? Like, what's going on? Why do I fucking care right. so strongly about this? And I think that's the question to always ask. Like, if I, if I feel so triggered, I feel strongly about something, what, what is going on? And of course, it didn't take me long to, to really see, oh, okay, this is connected to something in my childhood that I didn't want to face, I didn't want to look at, I don't, whatever it is, I didn't feel seen, I didn't feel heard. Uh, there's other things going on. And that's, I think, one of the things that I also see happening is that as we become aware of the false conclusions the child drew, the stories that we tell yeah. ourselves that aren't true, well, then the stories out there that are being told to us, are they true? Yeah, they must not be true. They must be out to, right. you know, to get us. And I'm like, well, you kind of heard my opinion there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of that, of, of wanting your sovereignty, but at the same time, you're coming from fear. Right, yes. <laughs> and not seeing that it's not serving the whole or you in that, in coming from fear around it. And there is a lot of fear right now. I mean, I feel it in me because you do this work, you see what's going on in the world. A lot of people I think don't know what's real. And I've faced that, mm -hmm. you know, in my own life. Like I've had moments, it's like, what? Like you, you, you keep going down the rabbit hole and it's like, I thought I knew what was real. Now I'm not so sure. And then, and you know, and, and it's always the same thing. There's something scary there for me to feel and, you know, some grief to let go of. And once that energy, that emotion is cleared, clarity comes and the space, you know, there's more space to, for me to actually see what's going on. But I can, uh, I feel, I know that's going on in me and this is what I, you know, I'm doing this work all the time and have an amazing support system for a lot of people out there. It's just, they, they must be terrified. Because it's hard, it's really hard to understand the world and all of the changes that are going on and the technology and the phones and we have our, our real identities and we have a virtual identity mm -hmm. and it's almost like, is our virtual identity becoming more real than our actual identity? Are they inseparable in some way? And it gets really strange. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking a lot about younger gen. I mean, I grew up, you know, I didn't have an email account until I was 29, right? I grew up, you know, four TV stations, you know? And so, but these kids growing up, like integrated with the internet, with that kind of connectivity, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they have a whole other, uh, degree of consciousness around it. But I, I see like what I see when I look out at the world is just a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And, uh, do you see that? And, and how do you, like, how do you work with fear? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. There's, there's a lot of chaos. And I just tell myself, uh, uh, and this is the apocalypse. People always think the apocalypse is right, going to look right. like it does in the movies. Um, and we're getting closer there with this pandemic. But um, that this is the chaos and that this is necessary yes. for people to create that perfect storm where they can't not feel it. And I, on a soul level, come from chaos. So I'm just like, I have a strong capacity to, to be with fear, to be with the unknown, and to see it as 
necessary, like stage two acceptance, like this mm -hmm. is necessary. And like that, like having to breathe that in and to see what's happening and to see the fear and the doubt and the separation and the challenges and the losses and the confusion and all that that's going on for people and say, yeah, and this is necessary. Right. Yeah. And I'm not the solution, but I'm going to focus on where I know I support and guide people to learning to build their emotional resiliency, their ability to be with this as much as I could be with this and not get wrapped into it. Like I saw some of my friends that I thought, you know, had big capacities get so wrapped into it where they're like listening to, you know, all, watching all the conspiracy stuff and buying guns and all these things yeah. and their business is not getting the attention they need. And I'm like, you totally got hijacked into right. the, you know, the, the, the chaos of it. And I'm more, I'm observing the chaos. I could feel the chaos, but it is not taking me off my course. Mm. If anything, it has lit up more of a fire in me for me to do things that normally I wouldn't, want to do or take on meaning to make decisions to play a bigger game in my business to be on social media like i'm i'm of the area era like you before these things and yeah like, you know it's not it's it's it you know there's a part of me that just wants to hide inside of my programs and then it's like no you need to be out there more you need to be on podcasts which i'm actually more comfortable with you need to be on instagram more you need to share more of your story because people need to see you and like that's my current edge right now really yeah putting yeah. yourself out there yeah putting myself out there mm -hmm. what's 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 the edge for you <laughs> um like what's scary about putting yourself out there it's not it's just unfamiliar uh-huh yeah it's no longer scary it's it's more just new so um i've i have great content out on social media and that's been my social media team for two years i just took it back in house last week and fired the oh, agency really? yeah i want to do all my own writing and all mm. my own sharing and because i'm because i want it to be deeper and more authentic and mm. even more me and it's not scary where i'm gonna hide from it like i have in the past it just hasn't been practiced enough. It's like a new role. Yeah. And yeah. I just haven't gone on stage enough or looked in the mirror enough and, and practiced that. So I don't think about it enough. You know, I mean, in the past two weeks, I've gotten more ideas on posts that I want to write than ever before. Wow. Because I'm putting focus yeah. there. But like Instagram stories, which I know makes a difference because people want to relate to you. They want to know your life. I don't think of it like other people that have already developed that muscle. So like I put my phone aside, I forget about it all day and I'm like, Oh, right. Could have taken this opportunity. So that's my current edge. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, because I guess if you want to spread the word about your work, there is some, I don't say obligation, but to show yourself, mm -hmm. to let yourself be seen, to promote yourself, to talk, to, you know, mm -hmm. talk about your ideas when you're here doing that. Um, 
like, how do you feel with the attention? Because when you, when, you know, when you're leading a workshop, you are the star, you're the star of the show. Yeah. You're the center of attention. Everybody's looking at you all the time. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can imagine if like, and I see Chris, he's very active on social media. He seems comfortable with, yeah. you know, having yeah, he's, people. he used to be, he, he was TV, you know, yeah, yeah. he's comfortable. He's a star. Uh, it was an edge for me five, six years ago, virtually. It was. You mean just like to do groups virtually? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And I think that's why um, I didn't enjoy it as much. And I stopped and, and it wasn't as connected. Yeah. And then I went to the in-person and, you know, in-person, I feel more comfortable. Um, I just had to show up. You can't just turn it off and run away. Yeah. And then coming back and then developing that and coming back to it virtually. And it's, it's easy for me as a star inside of my programs. And now it's just like, um, cause there it's more, well, you think I'm the star, but I'm just here to guide you. You're right. watching me as a star, but I keep telling them, I'm like, don't watch this. Like it's a show drop in with the person I'm, I'm facilitating, I'm yeah. guiding. Uh, so there it's comfortable for me. And I think with, um, the world of social media, it's more cause I have, I get to share more of my thoughts that are come up in the moment or my life, which, um, there's a part of me that likes to keep it private and sacred. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like I post a lot of like what my fiance and I do together or on the weekends or this or that or what I'm eating. It's just, but at the same time, I notice the people that I follow on social media that I can't just close the phone and stop when they have like 10 little stories there they're sharing their life. Yeah. And you, and it hooks you and yes. you feel like you want, and they're also sharing great other things. And I'm just like, as much as there's a part of me that just wants to keep my personal life, mine, it is what connects people. People want to know the human side of me. And so I'm still dancing with that and definitely feel, well, not, if you're not going to share a lot of that, like, I mean, you don't have to go extremes like other people do where they're like showing you the toothpaste that they're using. Um, at least for me to just share more of all the things that I think about or come up for right. me or that I'm challenged with. Like what yeah. I just shared about my thought as I was driving over here, yeah. like making big business decisions is, you know, it, 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 it feels heavy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also the dynamic has changed. I mean, you know, not that you're a psychotherapist, but therapists generally, um, would present a neutral image, but now with social media, everybody's out there and, and people are sharing more of themselves. I know my, my teacher, um, you know, she, she kind of holds back a little bit and, and you remind me of her in some mm -hmm. way. Like I, I feel you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I can also feel like mm -hmm. that party that is going to keep some part of you yeah. private. And there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. Right. Like, and I think, and I, I see how that serves. Yeah. Um, and my teacher, like really like there's, there's more of a neutrality there. 
Um, and I feel that with you. And there's another game we're playing where we, when we see people revealing their vulnerabilities, their fears, their anxieties, and really being human, we're drawn to those people. And so it's, it's a, I struggle with it as well because I yeah. want to present a certain kind of image. And then you, it's like, it's hard to even know like what authenticity even is because it's like, you know, it's a fucking game on some <laughs> level. Like it's, you know, it's, uh, it's Instagram and there's some separation between you and the actual authentic self, the way you're presenting it, the things you're saying. So it's, it's a, I don't know. I find the whole thing really fucking tricky. And, uh, I guess what I try to do is I just try to do my best and yeah. hope that it's okay and hope that, you know, well, and that's occasionally why I feel humiliated. I ask myself, and... am I doing my best or right. am, I, oh. am I like with it? Am I giving as much as I know I can? And I know yeah. there's more. There's and more. So that's, that's where I am leaning into right now. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Anything you want to say about like training camp for the soul? Like it's a, such a great uh, name. Hmm. It's so it was brilliant, you hmm. know. And I I've seen you know pictures and videos and the testimonials, and it just looks so beautiful. The experience that people are having, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything you just want to say to people who are listening who may want to come or or learn more about it. What yeah. what's uh, tell us a little bit about training camp for the soul. Hmm. Well, I mean, you just heard the five stages. Right. That's what you're going right. to go through. Yeah. Um, but really, it's a place where you can you can you can belong. You mm -hmm. can feel seen. You can find community, and you can discover yourself as a powerful creator in life, and have the freedom to create and recreate yourself, and walk away with those tools. It's not a place that we want to, you know, keep you coming back to forever. It's more of you know, make me proud and go live it. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, I know that there's, there's a lot of powerful work out there and your work sounds just as powerful. And so it's so wonderful to sit across from, you know, someone that is also doing the work that gets people to the deepest healing. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we give it a good name and in, in the current reality right now is that there's a, a new coach every day, a new yeah. person that wants to coach people every day. And, um, for people to know that, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to take your money. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I'm, I, that this isn't just like one of those things. Mm -hmm. And so Chris and I, one of, one of the, um, new offerings that we're going to put out is a two day experience with us, not a full day, but virtually three hours a day for two days where you get to experience, get a real taste of us, the work, walk away with the same tools um, uh, for as little as $97 for right. two days. So that people that can't afford it, anything else beyond that, because money is that tight, that you got to learn some powerful techniques and tools and have an, an experience of transformation in those two days that you can practice on mm -hmm. your own. And for those of you that are like, I don't know, I don't know if I need this, I don't know, is she for real, is he for real, what is this, that they could come for two days and 
and see how we work and experience our heart and our authenticity and our true care for real transformation. And um, so I'll have more details soon. That'll be happening end of July. But, you know, I'd say the best place if you want to connect with me is Instagram. That's how uh, we connected. Yeah. Because I do message every new follower. I want to get to know you and why, why you're following me. Like, who am I? I don't know you. Who are you? And if you want to learn more, then trainingcampforthesoul.com is the place. Amazing. Well, as somebody who is very skeptical and judgmental, I, I got to say you're very impressive and very authentic and very present. And I could tell, you know, I could tell right away when you walked in, it's like uh, you're serious about what you do. And uh, it just, you know, your heart and your love and your intelligence, it just resonates off you. So uh, if you enjoyed this interview, yeah, definitely go check out Training Camp for the Soul um, because I think you'll get a lot from it and a lot from working with you and Chris. So thanks for joining me here. It's great to meet you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure.